Episode 113, Constantly Shuffle Portfolios. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. This is The Game Changers with Jason Jennings, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author of eight books on leadership, growth, innovation, speed, and reinvention. Jason, great to be with you today. Uh, Dale, it's uh, great to be back with you. Now, I understand you're going to share a story and one of those game-changing principles that will probably strike terror in the hearts of anyone in sales. And I'm thinking to myself, we're all in sales. That was the first first point I was about to make. (laughs) I mean, because if you don't think you're in sales, hang it up. Oh, well. Because everybody is involved in one way, form, shape, or another in sales or, and if they're not, they're delusional. We have 113 of these conversations, well, 112 uh, under my belt. I would like to say I've learned something from (laughs) all the, all those conversations. And and there we go. I got it out in the open, right up, right off the bat. We're all in sales. So go ahead and, and continue to strike fear in my heart. So seldom do I go back and, and tell an old story because I think that kind of makes you old, but this woman was on my mind this week. Um, and her name was Evelyn. So most of our listeners know that in, in the first iteration of my career, uh, I was uh, on the air in radio and television. In the second iteration, radio station ownership. And then in the third iteration, uh, founded and created a pretty big-sized uh, consulting company that dealt with radio and television stations ultimately all over the world. And uh, early on in the days of the consulting company, and I, I think I can even talk about the town and the people because they're probably passed by now. Uh, one of my first consulting assignments as I was forming the company uh, was a delightful man out in Wyoming and Montana who owned a bunch of radio stations out there. And he showed a lot of faith and believe in me and ultimately even became an investor uh, in the company as we decided to grow it. Uh, a great, great man. And so uh, I, I was in Torrington, Wyoming. On, on a consulting trip, and uh, he had a pretty successful radio station there. And one day I sat down and I said, I want to meet with all the salespeople individually and go over their account lists. And so the first one I was going to meet with was Evelyn. And uh, Evelyn had been around since uh, I think Marconi uh, invented the industry <laughs> uh, a long, long time. And so she brought in her account list, and she had about 250 names on the account list. And I said, how in the world can you take care of 250 people? She said, well, don't you think about taking one off that list? They all belong to me. I found them. They are mine. So I backed off a little and I said, well, let's begin at the beginning of the list. So tell me about the first person on the list. She said, well, they only spend money in June. That's the only time they spend money. But I found them. They're mine. And so we go down this list and she's kind of got a story for everybody, but they're all self-serving stories. So here's where terror struck the first time. Uh, I went to Kermkate, the guy that owns the radio station or owned the radio station. 
And I said, Kerm, I think this is what we have to do. Uh, you've got like six salespeople here. I think everybody should have a target list of 50 accounts and should only be able to maintain a list of 50 accounts. And people have to understand that the accounts, the potential clients, don't belong to them. They belong to the radio station. They are merely entrusted to them for their care. So we did this. Well, there was wailing. There was gnashing of teeth. There was crying. There were threats of resignation. There were slammed doors. I mean, uh, you would have thought the end of the world uh, was upon us. But the amazing thing is it worked. And it kind of became uh, one of the clarion points of what we did. This mindset that clients and accounts don't belong to people. Uh, they are an asset of the radio station, the television station, the IT company, the bank. I mean, whatever company it is, clients belong to the institution. They do not belong to the people, and they're entrusted to people for their care. And there has to be a high touch, a high level of care of, of, of these clients. And, um, and, and so that became kind of the mantra. That's kind of one of the ways that we did business. Well, as I was working on my very first book, It's Not the Big That Eat the Small, It's the Fast That Eat the Slow, I came across a piece of information which just uh, kind of knocked me on my butt. And so I'm going to ask you a question. And maybe I've asked you this before, but I don't recall. But what I want you to imagine for a moment is that you are a mutual fund manager. So your job is to uh, lead this mutual fund of 25 or 30 stocks. Your job is to figure out, uh, you know, you've got $500 million or a billion dollars entrusted to you for your care and development. Should you keep this stock? Should you sell this stock? Uh, should you consider adding this stock? Uh, what should you do? And you know that you're being judged on your performance by the way you run this mutual fund of, of 25 or 30 stocks. And so here's the question for you, Dale. When do you think, uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Geist, a psychiatrist, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Business School, is the first one that did this pioneering research. Uh, and the research is pretty incredible. Uh, when, when do you think, as a mutual fund manager, you turn in your best performance? Do you think it's year number one when you just – been named the head of the fund and really are not familiar with the stocks in the fund? Um, or let me give you another option. It's year two. Uh, you've been around. You know the bad performing stocks. Uh, you know the good performing stocks. You're familiar with your portfolio. You know it inside out. Or uh, I'll give you one more choice. Uh, year five, where you're the expert pro at leading this fund, you've turned in good performance you know where all the bodies are buried. So in which year do you believe that you're going to deliver the best performance? I would say it's going to be year number one. Presto, magic. You got the right answer. Dr. Geist, in his landmark research, studied literally thousands of mutual funds and fund managers and fund performances. And what he discovered is that a fund manager's best performance is generally their first year. Why do you think that is, Dale? They, they're out there to prove themselves, to make a point, uh, to find success, and, uh, and they're willing to take some risk to do and so. The other, yes, the, those are both correct answers. And the other one is they don't have a need to defend their previous choices. Mm. So if something is not performing – they don't have an emotional attachment to holding on to something. They can say, I'm out of this, and I'm on to something new. I, I think that's rather remarkable. And so if 
anybody listening is involved in sales, sales management, and of course, we're all involved in sales and sales management and the generation of revenue. I think there's something to learn from Dr. Geist, and that is to constantly shuffle portfolios. But this does strike terror in the hearts of everybody in sales and everybody in sales management because of this old attitude, that account belongs to me. It's mine. Don't you even think about taking it off my list. It belongs to me. And if you're really going to maximize the performance of, of a business, uh, that's, that's the mindset switch that you actually have to make. And, and so he, here are the reasons why. First of all, people get too attached uh, to the clients or the names on their account list. They think they know everything and they actually develop friendships with these people. And who's the easiest person to say no to? Well, the easiest person to say no to is a friend. Uh, you know, John, I just can't do it this month. You know, uh, business is not good or things haven't been great. You understand. I mean, you know, you're my buddy. And so people get too attached. Number two, people get too confident in the knowledge they have. They really believe that they know everything about everybody on that list and everything about all the opportunities and potential problems that they could be taking advantage of, the, of for the client. The other, uh, the third one is that people have a tendency to slack off. Uh, another bit of research, and I don't think we've ever talked about this, is uh, the question, how much money do people make? And this landmark study came out of the Stanford Business School. And uh, how much money do people make? Uh, here's the amazing answer to that question. People, most people make within 10% of what they need to make, not of what they want to make, but if people need to make 7,000 a month, guess what? Uh, they're going to be working hard enough to make somewhere between 6,700 and $7,700 a month. Most people will make within 10% of what they need to make. So you, you may have this, this account list, I mean, which are all, I mean, it's a box of gemstones waiting to be polished and, uh, but you're only going to make what you need to make. Uh, number four, um, it, 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 by constantly changing names on the account list and giving them to different people, uh, it avoids uh, reversion, to the, reversion to the means, uh, which means uh, whatever you've enjoyed, whatever you've gotten out of something for a while at some point in time is going to go back to a, what it was uh, in the beginning. And uh, so it doesn't do away with reversion to the means, but it certainly slows the process down. Uh, same old, same old will not take hold. Um, the other reason for constantly switching portfolios is that new eyes and new perspectives are a good thing. Uh, a new person with a new way of looking at things, a new way of sussing things out are always good. And the most important reason at all that I really love, and I don't think there's, I need to be apologetic for this, it just keeps everybody on their toes. They know that they have been entrusted with this list of 20 names, 25 names, 50 names, whatever the size of that target account list is, and they better be on their toes because otherwise, 90 days down the road, if we're not doing some business, that name is going to come off the list and it's going to go to somebody else. And so um, so this week, I, I, I was thinking a lot as I reread the book, uh, it's not the big that eats the smallest, the fast that eats the slow, that this gets lost on, on, on most businesses. Most businesses are not shuffling portfolios enough and for the sales for the true um person who's out on their on out on the street knocking on doors selling a product or a service that that salesperson who's thinking oh my gosh 
what do I lose? I would encourage you to change the mindset to what do I gain and go through that list and think about, wow, what do I gain from a new client, from a new approach, from a new list of, of calls? Exactly. Exactly. Well, my, my promise is this. I mean, this works. This works. And so I think everybody listening this week or to this episode has to ask the question, what does this mean to me? What does switching portfolios mean to me? How does it apply to my business? How can I use this to take my business to the next level? And I love this because I have to admit, I have a visceral reaction to the phrase, but we've always done it that way. (laughs) And it just, I mean, you might as well scratch fingers, fingernails down a chalkboard. Uh, So I love this concept. And thanks for sharing it again and uh, giving us a new fresh approach to it. And, uh, and it's a great way to, to definitely implement a great thing to implement into a, into every organization. Where can we institute and initiate change? Great. And, uh, the one thing I haven't done the last couple of episodes is, uh, I'm Jason at Jason dash Jennings.com. Uh, I'm up to date. I think I have now answered every single email that I've received the last couple of weeks in regards to the podcast. So I guess I'm ready for another slew of them. I would encourage listeners to share a story of how you have changed up the portfolio and the impact it's had and, and what you've seen in the results. That'd be, wow. Yeah. Wouldn't that be, those would be fun stories to hear and to share. Well, so send me your story of uh, what shuffling portfolios has meant to your business. And we'll report back on a future podcast. Fantastic. All right. Once again, that email address. Uh, Jason at Jason-Jennings.com. Thank you so much, Jason Jennings. Well, you know, Jason is the uh, Jason is the author who USA Today calls one of the three most in-demand business speakers in the world. You can find out how you can arrange to have Jason keynote your next event or leadership conference. Learn about the fees, the availability. Check the website, jason-jennings.com. Click the contact button and follow the instructions there. Once again, jason-jennings.com. This is the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. Find a portfolio to shuffle. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at Jason. Dash Jennings.com.